Uh, today we celebrate two feasts on the church's calendar. Uh, one is uh, the Feast of Barnabas the Apostle, which will follow because in good Anglican fashion, uh, we're, we're following the one that's in the prayer book that the prayer book tells us to. And then we're also observing another one that's sort of icing on the cake and, uh, and very verboten by the prayer book. <laughs> but uh, but I, I should say that uh, Corpus Christi has a, has a complicated history within Anglicanism. Um, it is... Uh, uh, the veneration of our Lord and the sacrament that uh, that uh, sent many Anglicans into hives and still does to this day. Um, but but here I don't believe we have any such uh, concern. Um, we we do all the things. We keep the sacrament uh, uh, on reservation. And as this is a parish definitely within uh, the high church and Catholic mode of Anglicanism, uh, we have no concerns about celebrating uh, the the feast of Corpus Christi. Um, so uh, though I'm in red, you can just imagine me in part red and part white today. Uh, but as I said in the email today, I think these two go together quite well. Um, why? How? How does this work? Well, the first thing that I want to say is that we often get this um, uh, rather strange idea of evangelism and mission and, and apostolic work. I mean, if I were to ask you, why does the church evangelize? You'd probably give me an answer. Like what? Go ahead, it's okay. So that people can be saved, right? <laughs> so, that, so that people won't go to hell, and that's a wonderful thing, and, and, we, should, and we should definitely have that in mind. Um, although that doesn't quite fulfill the biblical picture, does it? Um, we might say, well, so that, so that, uh, so that the poor can be uh, redeemed. So that all, and, and all those answers are true, but at the top of the heap in our mind should always be this so that the Lord may be worshipped and obeyed and loved um, by more and more and more. If we get that priority and mission wrong, then we'll think that we're just doing this great humanitarian act on God's behalf. Um, that is certainly part of it, and it's got to be there. But when we lose this sense that what we're doing in evangelism and mission is bringing more people to love, obey, and worship Jesus, um, and, and specifically done so out of the understanding that the church's mission is always Eucharistic. Because what we desire to do in the mission of the church and in, and in the work of evangelism and this great apostolic work which the church has, we seek to expand the borders of, of worship in the Lord. Um, we seek to actually make all of creation Eucharistic. Or actually we seek to see the Lord make all of creation Eucharistic. Um, this is, in fact, what's, what we're reading about in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, as we read about uh, Barnabas going uh, to Antioch, this great mission. I remember uh, a few years ago, I was hanging out at a dichotomy with my good friend, Father John, who is the... Uh, who used to be the Antiochian priest in town, and we used to give each other a hard time, and he used to read comic books, and, and I would make fun of him for never wearing clericals and all this. He was, he was a great guy. Uh, but uh, at one point, one of the staff at Dichotomy said, who's that? I said, well, that's Father John. And he said, well, which church is he at? Well, he's, he's at the Antiochian church in town. And they're like, oh, at Antioch, they have a priest. And I said, no, 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 the Antiochian church. And, and, uh, and, she, and she said, well, What's that? And I said, Acts chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas went down to Antioch, that church. And so it was great, great fun. Um, this, this, uh, this mission of Paul and Barnabas to the people in Antioch. And in fact, Barnabas is the first one to go. He goes down to Antioch because he hears that there are believers there. So he just goes. Um, news goes to uh, the church in Jerusalem that people are coming to believe in this, uh, in this, uh, 
very, you know, you should say this, it's a very Greek town, Antioch. It was not a place where uh, Jews were hanging out. It wasn't a place where there was much in terms of people that you would expect to come to faith. This is the first inkling that there are people coming. It's, it's, it's coming immediately after uh, Peter's vision of this sheet being lowered down and the uh, baptism of Cornelius. And Peter still is un, unsure of what to do about this. There's still some like, well, this was nice, but uh, let's go back to Jerusalem. And, and what we're seeing in the Acts of the Apostles is that God is by his spirit moving uh, the church outside of the boundaries of Jerusalem uh, to um, again, Jesus says as he's ascending into heaven um, that you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we're seeing is the Holy Spirit moving the church out in witness to the ends of the earth. And we might ask why. Well, we're going to read about why. Barnabas goes down to Antioch and he sees the grace of God. What is it that he's doing? He doesn't, listen, (laughs) if if you know anything, you should know that grace is invisible, but still a thing, Right? I mean, I would hope that you'd understand that. And I hope that we've taught you well enough to know that, that grace is actually a thing, um, a substance, so to speak. Um, can you see it? No. But what do we read about Barnabas seeing? He saw the grace of God. Well, what is he seeing? He's seeing um, the lives of these Gentiles converted. He's seeing them filled with faith. He's seeing them uh, pray. He's seeing them uh, give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's seeing them uh, just as he has seen thousands upon thousands of Jews like himself receive the grace of God. And he exhorted them to to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and with faith. That's an image of what that grace of God which we see looks like. It looks like being full of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And then, he read, then we read that a large company was added to the Lord. And because of this large company being added, uh, Barnabas decides that he needs help. And so what does he do? He, he uh, kicks it into high gear and he probably walks about, oh, I don't know, it's, it's a good distance, maybe 400 miles to Tarsus. Um, and and he, he grabs Paul, who, what's, no, what is, what is uh, actually it was still Saul. What is, what is Saul doing at this point? He's kind of like, uh, he's, he's in this, he says it's about a 13-year period where he, he, after his conversion in Damascus, he sort of goes into this period of, of meditation and prayer um, before this mission begins. Um, and so Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him uh, to Antioch to do this. Um, For a whole year they met with the church and taught a large company of people, and in Antioch the disciples were for the first time called Christians. This is a very important thing. Um, Not only do Paul and Barnabas enter into this work of teaching, and so we should say this strongly, that, um, and and you know this about about what we do here at Christ Church, teaching is important. Well, why is it important? Because it builds up the church for mission. It builds up the church in worship. Um, teaching is essential. In fact, Paul says that he would rather use uh, five words with his mind in order to instruct or teach or catechize others than 10,000 in a tongue. Paul values the ministry of teaching above that of ecstatic words, of prophetic words even. So Paul knows the, the benefit of teaching a large number of people at Antioch are taught, and it is on the basis of this teaching uh, that they are brought to be called for the first time anywhere 
Christians. What does this word mean, Christian? No one had been called Christian up to this point. This is the first time they're called Christians or Christ ones or, um, as some like to put it, little Christ. <laughs> well, go back to what we've said before. They, they have received the grace of God. They have received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They've received the outpouring of faith. And now they've been instructed in the way. And they have become, through this, through all of this, um, what I would really say Christian means is, is, is a person who is anointed after the manner of Christ. Um, one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit, who is anointed to the gift of faith, one who is anointed to the grace of God. Um, and it is this group um, which is gathered together, um, and, and there are quite a few notable people among them. Uh, we read that a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch is involved in this. Um, people from all around the world are there. And while they're worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks into their midst and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, so they do more fasting and more praying, and what do they do? They lay their hands on Barnabas and Saul, and they send them off. Um, it is through this, now this is a wild thing going on, it's, it's not meant to be normal by any means, but what's going on is there's a kind of ordination that, Paul, that, that Saul and Barnabas are given. And what is ordination but a new anointing in the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry and for the work of mission? Um, they, are, they are anointed by the Holy Spirit, they are, their hands are laid on them, and then they're sent. And what do they become in this moment? know the word. What does it mean to be sent? What's the word that means in its very sense? To be sent, one who is sent with a message. They're made apostles at this point. Um, now certainly that calling upon Saul had come much earlier, but here they are sent off. Um, we should remember the words of Jesus here, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Well, how is Jesus sent? You should know this. What is, the, what, what is the power behind Jesus' ministry? Well, certainly that he's the Son of God, but we can take it a step further. He's the power of the Holy Spirit behind him. He's anointed by God the Father for this mission. That's why we call him Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. And he is sent into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Um. Jesus says this, in the same way, in, according to this way, I send you. And so Barnabas and Saul are sent out with that message, and we know what they do with it. They, they go on this, on this missionary journey, right? It's, it's Paul's first missionary journey, and he goes with Barnabas to visit all of these places, to evangelize, to make disciples. Um, and he does this in the same reason, for the same reason that Jesus sends out his disciples um, and his apostles, which is to... Um, not to condemn the world, but that the world through them might be saved. Um, now, I said before, we should not put salvation of the world at the top of the heap, should we? But we ought to say as well that salvation for the Christian is not just going to heaven when you die. Let's be clear about that. Salvation means being redeemed out of the darkness of sin, being redeemed out of the bentness of our nature, being redeemed out of the brokenness that we face. To do what? play harps, hang out on clouds, 
look down on our loved ones from heaven. All that wonderful sentimental garbage. What are we redeemed for? For worship. And not just any worship, but worship that comes through and in fellowship with Jesus. Worship of the Father that takes place in and through Jesus. What does this remind you of? The Eucharist. Paul writes, the bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? This is why the church becomes who she is through the Eucharist. She becomes a body made for the worship of God. And brothers and sisters, this is what we call an unbelieving world into. This wonderful and deep privilege that is yours and mine. I say this for two reasons. One is so that, so that you will be relieved of any pretension that you're just sort of here to do the bit. I mean, I'm like here to take communion. Da, 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 da. No, 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 no. What you do is you enter into the very heaven of heavens today. Um, a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. It is a taste, for sure. But the church is always compelled into the mission of the world and into the mission which God has in this world by the grace of God working through this sacrament. Um, when you go out those doors today, you go out powered by the Eucharist. Empowered by the Eucharist. Um, given great grace for the mission of Jesus in this world. Um, and lest you think that it's your own power that, that will lead people to salvation, uh, remember that that's never the way it works. Um, if anyone has ever won over to the Gospel, if anyone has ever uh, brought into the salvation which Christ gives, it is by His grace that it happens and it is by His call that it happens. Um, but I raise all of this to show you that there is great continuity between the Eucharist and what it means to be an apostle. Because the two go hand in hand. You can't abstract one from the other. Um, the church's mission and, and the absolute message is, it, is at its heart Eucharistic. Um, and at the same time, um, the Eucharist is apostolic. I mean, do you know that for a good long portion in the church's history, in the early history, no one but an heir to the apostles, a bishop, could celebrate the Eucharist? I'll never forget hearing this for the first time. Bishop Michael Nazarali was going on at length about how this developed, and he said, you know, the reason that only bishops could celebrate the Eucharist is because encapsulated in the Eucharistic canon is the preaching of the apostolic gospel. They alone had the authority to do it. Um, today, I am, I am a mere delegate of the bishop who is an apostle to us to celebrate this Eucharist here today. Um, but I do so, and as I do so, I proclaim the gospel. Um, the gospel is proclaimed first in the church and then to the world. Note what's happening here in the Acts of the Apostles. They are meeting, they're fasting, they're worshiping, they're praying, and it is from that. I cannot imagine how it would be that in that place in Antioch, they did not celebrate the Eucharist together. I'm certain they did. It would be crazy for them not to. Um, and so they're sent out with this power. They're sent out with this grace. Um, and every time 
uh, someone is added to the Eucharistic fellowship of the church, it is a realization of that mission. Um, and, and every time you and I uh, attend to these mysteries, we receive the same. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.